Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Solo today, but I got a lot to get into. I want to get into the Red Sox, and I'm going to get into the awards so far this season. Is Now we're at the All-Star break, so it's time to give out some awards as we have a couple of days off in Major League Baseball. So I'll do that. I also want to get into Jalen Brown and sort of where he ranks among number two options in the NBA right now. Because prior to the playoffs, I thought he had a chance to be number one on the list. Not so sure anymore, so we'll get into that as... We get closer to, eventually, Jalen Brown getting a Supermax, although he hasn't gotten that yet. Recording two right after the Red Sox take this game over the A's, 4-3. to three. Yoshida with a late home run. And this Red Sox team is now red hot five in a row. They've won eight of nine. I'd expect that they're going to be buyers at the trading deadline. So one of the questions we had coming into the season, are you going to be relevant down the stretch? And they have certainly done that. I give them credit. They're playing really good baseball right now. And the Rays are playing really bad baseball right now. So it's an interesting, the American League seems... Like, it's kind of open to me right now. Not to say the Red Sox are the favorite. Don't get caught up in what I'm saying here. I'm just pointing out the fact that if you look at this right now, the American League is open. You can make a run here, especially considering the Red Sox schedule really lightens up. All right, so let's get to my pre-All-Star break awards. So we're starting with most improved, and this was the easiest one for me to do. It's Jaron Duran, and it's not even close. This was a no-brainer, and... I know a lot of people were upset he wasn't in the lineup to start the game today. I understand getting other guys at bats and all that, but Duran is just must-see TV at this particular point in time. But if you look at it, Duran, you look at the numbers entering play on Sunday, where he pinch hit in this game, but the batting average was 319, so that was up 98 points from a season ago. The on-base percentage was at 365, which was up 82 points. The slugging percentage, 520, that's up 157 points. And the OPS up to 885, so up 240 points from last season. He's a totally different player, right? It's crazy to see how much better he is. And if you look at it, the contact is just so much better. So the hard hit rate, so balls off the bat 95 plus miles per hour, that's up to 47%. 
In 2022, that number was at 38%. So that 47% is well above average. That's in the 78th percentile. So that's a big part of it too, that he's making more loud contact. So yes, there's still gonna be swing and miss with Duran. But the big thing is, He's hitting everything this year. Breaking balls, 316. That was at 239 last year. The off-speed pitches, 313. That was at 109 last season. So he's not just hitting breaking balls and off-speed pitches. He's clobbering them when he couldn't touch them last year, right? So there were holes that he needed to cover up, and he has covered up a bunch of the holes that he had in terms of his approach at the plate. All right, now, if you look at since he made his season debut— which was on the 17th of April. That 319 batting average I referenced, that's eighth in all Major League Baseball. He leads the Red Sox in war since making his season debut. The 520 slugging percentage is 22nd in Major League Baseball since he made his debut this season. The 27 doubles he has entering Sunday were tied for first during that stretch with Freddie Freeman since he made the debut. Now, 25 of his doubles have come against right-handed pitching. So if you take that number, that 25 doubles, that leads all of Major League Baseball, not just since he made his debut, but in terms of the whole season, he has the most doubles entering Sunday against right-handed pitching, and he didn't start the season until April 17th, and he's done that in 210 plate appearances. That was 155th out of 166 qualifiers. So think about this. The guy that has the most doubles against right-handed pitching is 155th out of 166 guys in terms of his plate appearances against righties. Those numbers, it shouldn't make sense. Just let that thing marinate. It shouldn't make sense that he has the most doubles. But as we've seen, a lot of the doubles that he hits, and I'm not taking anything away from this is a compliment. The reason that this is happening is because there are doubles that he has that don't even get past the outfielders. I mean, these are balls that maybe they're in the gap a little bit, but they're not getting like into like near the fence, right? The outfielders are cutting them off, but he's so quick that he just finds a way to get to second base. It's remarkable. And that speed in terms of the sprint speed, 95th percentile via baseball savant. And he's eighth in Major League Baseball in terms of his speed from home plate to first. So it's ridiculous, the speed. And he's stolen 17 bases already this season, 11 more than any other Red Sox player. And by the way, Trevor Story led the team last year with 13. He has 17 already. And the other thing I would say, he would have even more stolen bases if it wasn't for the fact that he's hitting so many doubles, right? I told you, it's 27 doubles. So it's very rare that you're going to steal third, right? Unless you're De La Cruz. We saw that the other night. But you get my point. It's just the fact that he would have even more stolen bases if he hit more singles or something along those lines, right? Now, the only thing I'll say, the Red Sox have set up up for success. And this is a good thing. You want to set up your young players for success, right? So entering play on Sunday, 210 of his 249 plate appearances have been against right-handed pitchers, okay? So that's what, 84% of his at-bats come against righties. So if you look at the sample size against lefties, 13 strikeouts in his plate appearances against left-handed pitching, that's 33.3%, not good. Last year, the strikeout rate was 31% against lefties. So that's the thing long-term that he's going to need to improve, right? In terms of he's got to find a way to be able to be productive against left-handed pitching. He just doesn't have a lot of opportunities right now because the Red Sox, and I know they've had their issues this year at times, they are pretty deep as it pertains to the outfield. So he doesn't play a lot against lefties. That's the issue people had today. He still should have been in the lineup, people are saying. But I get I get the frustration of why people are upset he wasn't in the lineup, but I also get why he wasn't. I get it. He's one of the guys that is hot as hell right now, right? He's one of the hottest hitters in all of Major League Baseball, but I do understand why he wasn't in the lineup. You want to get other guys' opportunities, although I'll say this, done with watching Kike Hernandez play baseball, and we'll get to that later on. But the thing about him is he's been outstanding to watch. Obviously, last year was rough from him on and off the field. We had issues. Remember the whole situation with the twilight? He was upset with getting questioned about catching a pop fly at Fenway. In the twilight, he turned it back on the media Hey, have you ever tried to catch a ball in the twilight? So the attitude is much better. And he talked about learning from that. And you have a really, really big time weapon on the base paths. And the other thing that I would say, I give the Red Sox credit. They could have easily given up on this guy. And I thought at times he looked like he wasn't a major league player. And now he's a stud. I mean, he's been incredible for this team. All right. Best pitcher in terms of the starters. Obviously, this one's Brian Bayo. And we did the Metric Man breakdown of Bayo on Thursday, so I'm not going to get into him in greater detail here, but I do want to give James Paxton the runner-up here, so I want to get into Paxton and just what he's meant to this team. 
So if you look at his starts since the start of June, seven innings, two earned, six innings, zero earned, six and a third, three earned, four and a third, he left with knee pain. He gave up one earned in that one. Remember, that was the White Sox game. He ended up being fine, but he left that one with knee pain. Seven and two thirds, zero earned, and six innings, two earned against the A's on Saturday afternoon. He's just going out there and giving you quality start after quality start after quality start. And since he made his season debut on the 12th of May against the Cardinals, 273 ERA, that's ninth out of 74 qualified starters during that stretch. So he's been elite. Bayo, by the way, is second during that stretch at 222. The 29.1% strikeout rate since he made his debut ranks 13th. The thing that amazes me is Paxson is throwing nearly 57% of his pitches are four-seamers. That number ranks 14th out of 84 pitchers that have faced at least 100 batters. So for a starting pitcher to be that reliant on the fastball, it's really incredible to see what he's been able to do. And the numbers are actually, if you look at his numbers this season, he's been better against righties than lefties. Righties just 171, lefties 304. The curveball has been really good against righties. They're just two of 24 in at-bats that end against that pitch. That's an 83 average, not 183, an 83 average. Now, lefties are hitting 310 against the four-seamer, and he throws it 59.9% of the time against left-handed pitchers. So the usage actually goes up a little bit against lefties compared to righties because he has that great curveball for righties. So the one question is, will he start to use his cutter more here post-All-Star break? Because lefties are hitting just 231 against that pitch with a 40.7% whiff rate. So they're not really hitting it, and they're whiffing at it very often. And the thing you can do with a cutter against a left-handed pitcher if you're Paxton, or against a left-handed batter if you're Paxton, you can get it in on their hands. So I'm wondering if he starts to throw that a little bit more because that would be the one sort of troubling trend that you see with Paxton is the fact that lefties are hitting him relatively well. Despite the numbers in totality, they've been great, but that is the one interesting thing going forward. But if you look at it right now, the interesting thing to me is you could really get something for Paxton on the trading market, right? But the Red Sox are now in the wild card race. They are legitimately in this thing right now. And I just can't see them moving on from Paxton. Remember last year, there was like a mutiny when they trade Christian Vasquez. And he's been one of your only reliable starters. How could you move Paxton at the trading deadline? You just can't do it. I'm just saying it's interesting because you could get some good value back for Paxton because he's been outstanding for this team. So if the Red Sox actually sucked, you could actually trade him. But you're not trading him now because that would just be punting on the season. And remember, the schedule post-All-Star break that really works out (laughs) for the Red Sox too, the Cubs and the A's. So you could easily take five out of six. I mean, relatively easily, you could take six out of six. And I know it's very difficult to go sweep, 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 sweep. Like, it's very difficult to sweep teams. But the A's are horrible, as we saw over the weekend, And the Cubs suck, too. So from a bigger picture perspective here with this Red Sox team, I believe they have to buy. And remember, the deadline's August 1st. And the Sox are going to be hanging around. So Bloom, I would imagine, is going to have to add, not sell at the deadline. But this is wild. They've gotten this out of Paxton. Because remember, what we were kind of saying before the season. And remember, Bale wasn't up to begin the year. I was pissed off about that. Remember, it was like, wait, hold on. You're going to have Sale, Kluber, Pavetta, Whitlock, Hauk, Bayo, and Paxton all at some point. So you're thinking to yourself, like, you got too many starters. It turns out, no, you actually need more starters right now based on some of the injuries and some of the struggles. But the reality is Bayo and Paxton are the only guys that have stayed both available and consistent. Now, I give Pavetta credit because when he went to the bullpen, his stuff has played much better, and he's been really good out of there. And we saw him come out, give you seven innings out of the pen. He's just, it looks way more comfortable for him coming out of the bullpen than it was as a starter. But those are the only two guys that have been reliable and consistent, right? Hulk, freak injury. Whitlock, hurt again. Not surprised. Sale, hurt again. Tell me if you've heard that before. And if you were predicting before the season that the two guys that were going to stay healthy and consistent ever since Paxton came back from the original injury, you would not have bet that it was going to be Paxton and Brian Bayo, right? Like, you may have bet Bayo. A lot of people may have bet Bayo, but nobody was betting on Paxton to be reliable and consistent. Okay, so that brings me to my next award. That's a relief award, which goes to the best reliever on the team. Now, I know that Jansen is the all-star, and Crawford was so good in the bullpen before he went into the rotation because of the injuries. Not saying you don't really have a choice. He needed to go in there. But if you look at it, reliever, 143 opponents batting average, starter, 296 opponents batting average, right? So he's got to be better in the rotation, but at least you know that you have a really good reliever when he actually gets back to doing that role. But 
I'm going to go with Chris Martin as that's a relief award because he's been absolutely filthy. And remember, we were worried. I shouldn't say we. I was worried about him early on because I did this whole thing. I remember a couple of months ago in April about he's not striking anybody out, right? He wasn't missing bats. And we found out there was a reason for that. Remember, he had to go to the IL because he was dealing with that shoulder issue. So if you look at the numbers post IL, so since May 1st, 131 ERA. That is eighth out of 184 relievers, eighth in all of Major League Baseball. And I usually don't like to use ERA when we talk about relievers because essentially one bad inning can really screw you up for weeks. But I'm just using it as sort of an outline of where he is. Because if you look at the numbers, 0.82 whip, that's six in Major League Baseball for relievers during that stretch. The 2.6% walk rate is second. He doesn't walk anyone and he's ninth in win probability added. So he's pitching big innings, right? He's your setup guy. The hard hit rate this season is actually much improved for him. That's, of course, balls off the bat 95 plus. It's actually down 12 percentage points almost from 41.7% to 30%, which is just, that's a really, really good number. And the other big improvement for him this year is he's keeping the ball on the ground, something that he hasn't done in the past. The launch angle is at 0.9 degrees. Remember, under 10 degrees, that's going to be a ground ball. But that's 14th of those 184 levers since he came back from the injury. And it was at 12.3 seven degrees last year you look at the ground ball rate 55.6 percent that's a good number that's 29th out of 184 qualified relievers during that stretch that's a really good trend here with martin is he's getting a lot of balls on the ground so that was one of the issues that he's had in years past where he would give up some loud contact in the air and if you look at this year not the case elite at drawing ground balls and also he's been elite at preventing loud contact like this is a absolutely ridiculous combination and the strikeout rate post IL is 27 percent which Major League Baseball the average is around 25 percent so he's well over that so he's striking guys out at an above average rate and he's getting a lot of stuff on the ground and I love the signing at the time because the Sox had so many guys not just last year but over the past couple years where they came out of the bullpen and they couldn't throw strikes right like it felt like we were living that nightmare for years here with the Red Sox But last year, he was best in terms of walk rate in all of Major League Baseball for relievers. And he's doing the same thing, essentially. Number two, since he came back from the IL, he's doing the same thing this year. He's just going to attack you. And like we talked about with Paxton, he would have value. Actually, he would have significant value on the trade market just because everybody at the trading deadline is always looking for another reliever, right? It's that's what happens every year. Somebody wants a reliever. He would definitely go for a nice price, but you're going to continue to try to win with this team because they're playing really good baseball. Anyway, the thing that I love about this team compared to last year is you feel great about the back end. And it seems like a small thing, but you're like, oh, here's Martin, here's Jansen. The game's going to be over, right? Like you feel good about that situation. And you never had that feel in recent years, right? So the pen this year, just seven blown saves. That's tied for the fewest in Major League Baseball. That number last year was at 27. That was tied for 21st, okay? So (laughs) the Red Sox were blowing saves left and right last season. This season, they have really, really limited that. Okay, and remember, the two of them were in a stretch where Jansen was dealing with issues against St. Louis. Like, I mean, you take those out too, you're looking at five. That's when he really had that stretch there where he's struggling. So it wasn't overcomplicated. Stop playing games, go after known commodities to come into the bullpen Stop betting on the stuff and the trends of the players. Just go get good relievers. And the Red Sox, to their credit, and I give Hein Bloom, I know I criticize him at times, but I give him credit. Got an elite closer in Jansen, even if he's a little older, he's having a really good season. And Martin's having an outstanding season. All right. MVP, team MVP. So Justin Turner definitely deserves some consideration here, as does Yoshida. Entered Sunday hitting 313, but it has to be Alex Verdugo. He's at 2.1 wins above replacement from Fangraphs, by far the best on the team. 290 in terms of his batting average, that's 16th in Major League Baseball entering play on Sunday. 12.8% strikeout rate, 13th. And he has just 27 in-zone swing and misses all year. That's tied for the ninth fewest. So think about that, 27 all year. When he swings at pitches in the zone, he doesn't miss 27 times all season long. It's just a remarkable number. So the bat-to-ball skills, which we've always known about, they have been ridiculous. They've been on display. He's also been really clutch this season as well. I mean, you look at it, two outs with runners in scoring position. He's 12 for 33. Those are really good numbers. A 475 on base percentage. 
and a 960 OPS. You look at the ninth inning, he's 8 of 25 with two bombs, of course, a walk-off that we witnessed fairly recently, right? And he entered Sunday, tied for 13th with 95 hits, 26 doubles, which is tied for fourth. He said he wants to hit 50 doubles this season. He's kind of on pace for 50 doubles. The big improvement for Verdugo is, we kind of alluded to this with Duran, but he's actually hitting breaking balls and off-speed pitches. Because remember, he's always been able to hit fastballs. He's one of the best guys in Major League Baseball handling high-velocity pitchers, right? But breaking balls, he's up to 270 in terms of his batting average compared to 206 last year, and 279 against off-speed pitches compared to 202 last year. So he was a poor hitter against everything that was not a fastball pretty much last season. And this year, he's been really productive against those pitches. All right, so the big difference, and this is noticeable, jumps off the screen at you, this year compared to last year, is his defense, right? So he's at 10 defensive runs saved. Last year, he was at minus five. So a 15-run swing, right? And if you look at it, it's noticeable too. Like, he was not a good defensive player last year. I know he's dealing with an injury and all that, but he's been elite this season. So if you look at it, those 10 defensive runs saved are fourth among all outfielders in Major League Baseball. Right fielder, center fielders, left fielders, he's fourth in all of baseball. So he was dealing with the injury, as I alluded to, but he's in much better shape, too. He needed to sort of be called out by the manager like he did after the season when he said, we need more from Verdugo. But here's where I'm at in terms of sort of a bigger picture question with Verdugo. What do you want to do with him long term? Because we had the conversation with Julian McWilliams of the Globe, what, like a week and a half ago, where we talked about, should you actually trade him and get some value? And at this point, remember the Red Sox are playing really bad baseball. You wonder, would you actually trade Verdugo because you get a lot back in return from, especially from a contender. And remember, next year is the final year of arbitration. He's in his 27-year-old season. So my fear is not that this is a contract year, but it's pretty close to a contract year, right? Because next year is the final year of arbitration. So my fear with Verdugo is, is this his new normal? Because... This is really the first year that he's been a reliable player from start to finish, right? Like he's had moments, he's had really good stretches throughout his career, but nothing like this from day one of the season to now, he's been outstanding. Elite defense, elite offense. Like he would have stretches in the past where he'd be great, but then he'd also have really bad stretches. And it feels like, and look, we still got to see the post all-star break version of Verdugo, but for right now, he's been really, really good for this team. As I said, the MVP, but I just wonder if he gets a contract extension, is he the same guy without that carrot dangling, so to speak? And look, I, this is not meant to be an indictment on Verdugo, but we've just seen a lot of inconsistencies with him over the years. And I really like what we've seen from the player this year. It's just, I wonder about extending a player like that, right? Where we've questioned the work ethic at times. So that would be my one concern about signing him to a long-term contract. But I'm wondering if the Red Sox try to figure something out here. All right. My next award is... This is a lot better than it looks. That's kind of long for like the trophy, the plaque, but this is a lot better than it looks. And that's Raphael Devers. Okay, so going back to the 21st of June, he's been red hot. Last 16 games prior to Sunday's game, 68 plate appearances, a 328 average, that's 24th during that stretch, a 426 on base percentage, that's 15th, and a 978 OPS, that's 20th. Now, the Babbitt, the batting average in terms of balls in play is at 364 during that stretch, okay? On the season, that number's at 267, which is 129th out of 150 qualified hitters. So it's a really shit ton of bad luck for Rafi this season, especially considering the hard hit rate, the balls off the bat 95 plus, is at 51.9%, that's 11th. So those two things, the batting average in terms of balls in play and the hard hit rate, it doesn't match up. Like the numbers shouldn't be where they've been for most of the season. But during the 16 game stretch I referenced, the hard hit rate is actually slightly down. It's still elite, 48.9%, but he's still, he's getting much better luck in terms of the batting average on balls in play. So you knew he would turn that around and now he's starting to benefit from some luck. Now, here's one big thing that he's doing. Recently, during this 16 game stretch prior to Sunday's action, he was at 13.2% in terms of his walk rate. That's a really good number, especially for Rafi, right? That is 26th out of 179 qualified hitters during that stretch. On the season, he's at just 8.6%, which is 82nd for a while. Remember, he had like three walks in one month. Like he was swinging at everything. So naturally, he's an aggressive swinger. But what he's doing now is he's doing damage because he's swinging at better pitches, right? When Raphael Devers takes walks, this is when he's at his best, right? Because he's doing damage against pitches that he can absolutely murder. Like it's got to be difficult for him at times because... 
it's like a curse, his gift. He can get to everything. He can cover everything. But that's sort of his curse at times where he gets over aggressive. Okay. So despite the numbers not being great this year in terms of the batting average of 254, the 822 OPS, that is creeping up. We were expecting close to 300, at least I was, and north of 900 in terms of the OPS. I thought he'd get over 900 this year, but his power and production have at least been there, right? Because if you look at the other numbers, the 20 home runs rank 13th, the 70 RBIs rank 4th. So despite the batting average being down, if you look at it, he's still an elite level run producer, despite those things being down. So with Rafi, it's always about his swing decisions, and they've been much better as of late, and what I would expect is... Post All-Star break, he goes on a monster, monster stretch for this Red Sox team. Okay, that brings me to, I wouldn't say an award, but what's the opposite of, like, this is my Razzies, okay? Biggest disappointment. Obviously, Kluber has to be on there, where if you look at it, and I did this a couple of, or like a week and a half ago, he's legitimately, when we're talking about Nate Evaldi, so last week, you could legit make an argument that he's been the worst pitcher in all of Major League Baseball. That, that's not an exaggeration. And then there's Chris Sale, because prior to the IL trip, his five starts before that, before the game he got hurt, 223 ERA, that was 14th during that stretch. The 28.5% strikeout rate was 16th. The 25.9% hard hit rate was second. And only 3.7% of his batted balls were barreled up. That was the third best. He had three barrels during that five-game stretch. So it was strikeouts, and it was a ton of bad contact for the hitter. So he was finally back to being himself, and I was getting so fucking excited, right? And... The way that Paxton and Bayo are throwing the ball with Sale in the mix, too, that is a bear of a three-headed monster that you would have to go up against in, say, like a weekend series, right? Like, if you had to, uh, coming out of the All-Star break, Crawford's getting one of the starts, but if it was Bayo, Paxton, Sale, or whatever, Bayo, Sale, Paxton, imagine having to go up against that trio. That's just really difficult to deal with. So the more and more I think about it, the more and more disappointed I sort of get with the Chris Sale situation, because... It's not like I'm not mad at Chris Sale. It's just, I'm mad we saw what we did because I actually was getting all in and I was getting excited. And at this point, I just can't expect him to come back and be good. And I can't start buying back into it because I'll just keep getting pissed, right? I'm living my Red Sox watching experience going forward, pretending Chris Sale is not a real thing. Okay, that's what I'm going to do because I think it's going to be a lot less stressful for me. Like, I don't want to have in the back of my head, well, imagine what happens when Sale comes back. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to get caught up in that game anymore. And if he comes back and he's great, gravy. But if he's not, I, I can't get worked up about it anymore because I have spent, what, the past four years being stressed out about this guy. Okay. So he would be like a nomination for disappointment, but I, you got to go with Kike because Kike on the season at shortstop minus five defensive runs saved. Thank, thankfully, that's over. 28th out of 32 shortstops. 14 errors at short, tied for the most. 12 throwing errors, by far the most. So that was a complete mess. And then you look at how bad he's been with the bat. This is incredible to think about. Kike Hernandez on the season, his fan graphs war is at 1.2. That ranks 150th of, wait for it, 150 qualified players. Kike Hernandez is last in all of Major League Baseball in fan graphs war. He is the least valuable player in the sport. By the numbers, he is legitimately the least valuable player in all of Major League Baseball. I mean, that is a difficult thing to do. Congratulations to Kike. And by the way, that negative number, only 14 players are negative. Kike is the worst of that group. The batting average is 222, 134th of 150. The on-base percentage is 280, 144th of those 150. 326 slug, 148th of 150. 606 OPS, 148th of 150. Okay, the hard hit rate. 32.3%, 134th of 150. So no good contact either, right? Like, I mean, it's not getting, it's not like he's unlucky like we talk about with Rafael Devers, right? He has just a 321 on base percentage against lefties this season, okay? Which he needs to clobber lefties. Just 321 in terms of his on base percentage against lefties. Then you look at righties, we know he can at righties. 208, 265, 319, and a 583 OPS. Look, Okay, I just, at this point, cannot imagine anyone thought Kike would be this bad, right? Not this bad. He's, I thought coming into the season, all right, you'll tread water a little bit with Kike Hernandez at shortstop. You'll be okay. Nope, he is the worst guy doing it in the entire sport, right? I mean, we've outlined that. And yeah, 
I wasn't expecting 2021 Kike from the playoffs where he turned into like Babe Ruth for a stretch, but at least, okay, he'll hit lefties. He's not going to hit righties, but at least he'll hit lefties. No, he can't do that anymore either. So from my perspective, it's time to move on from Kike Hernandez, okay? And it sucks because... He doesn't have a lot of good value, obviously, right now. He's one of, like I said, he's the least valuable player in the sport, but you have to move on from one of those two guys, Kike or Arroyo, and I prefer Arroyo. Arroyo is a better second baseman. Kike hasn't been great defensively at second either. I mean, he's fine at second. It's not like he's playing shortstop. And I know Kike is more versatile, but you have enough outfielders. You don't need him. So take the better player right now, and Arroyo is the better player. Look at the outfield. You have Duran, you have Duvall, you have Verdugo, you have Yoshida. You have Ref Snyder, and Ref Snyder crushes lefties. I mean, entering Sunday, 356 against left-handed pitching, that is fifth in Major League Baseball. It's on base percentage against lefties, 466. That's the best in the sport. Number one in all of baseball, Rob Ref Snyder's on base percentage against lefties. That's a fun fact for you tomorrow at work. 466 slug, 932 OPS. So where are the at-bats coming from? Unless you move on from Duvall... But that would be a mutiny in the clubhouse. Like we we're talking about with Paxton and Martin. Yeah, these guys all have value, but you're not trading them because the Red Sox are playing pretty good baseball right now. So he's the odd man out. And it just feels like it's such a project watching the guy play, isn't it? Like enough is enough. I don't want to watch Kike Hernandez play anymore. And I appreciate what he did in 2021 and all that. And I know that he wasn't supposed to be the shortstop. Like that's not his position by trade. But I just I can't watch it anymore. And I just don't see the value that he provides to this team anymore. All right, a lot more to get into. I do have one big picture Red Sox stock coming up, and then I want to get into Jalen Brown and just get into where he ranks now among number two options in the NBA post-playoffs. We did it before the playoffs. Where is he ranked now? Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you can spend betting everything from the money lines over under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. Speaking of home runs, I'm looking at the home run derby that, of course, is coming up on Monday night. I'm going with our old friend Mookie Betts plus 1500 to win the home run derby. All in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on the MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash Pike to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash Pike. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Okay, one big picture thought I have. And I'm kind of sad to even do this, right? Because I told you that Verdugo is the MVP of the team so far. And I stand by that. He has been the MVP of the team so far. And he's been incredible. And he has been fantastic. But man, Mookie Betts is in the home run derby on Monday night. And just as a fan, I kind of feel robbed. And I know that we just did a lot of positive stuff with the Red Sox, and I don't want to make you feel sad either, but we should be watching our guy, right? Not to say in the home run derby, but just in general. He entered play on Sunday with 26 home runs, tied for the third most in Major League Baseball. 586 slugging percentage is third. 964 OPS is third. Second best slugging percentage, second best OPS behind only his MVP season. That year, by the way, remember that year, 2018? Great year for the Red Sox. They won this thing called the World Series. 346, 438 on base, 640 slug, 1078 OPS. Just stupid. But those 26 home runs, he's going to break his best mark. He hit 35 last year, which was a career high. He hit 32 in his MVP season. He's going to hit the most home runs he's ever hit in a season this year. So if you look at it, since he's left the Red Sox, or since he was traded from the Red Sox, 17.5 wins above replacement on fan graphs. That's fifth in all of Major League Baseball during that stretch. And look, maybe we can rehash it out because, and I don't want to go through the whole thing. Did Mookie really want to be here? He was always going to leave all that different time. I get it, okay? But this is not how things were supposed to be. And by the way, you could have just overwhelmed him with an offer and say, hey, we're going to make you the highest paid player in this war. But anyway, I don't want to get back into relitigating the Mookie Betts exit from the Red Sox. But you're supposed to have this guy. Right. We're supposed to have this guy as Red Sox fans. The Yankees have Judge. And I know you can tell me, well, the Red Sox have Raphael Devers and I love Raffi, but he's not Mookie. 
Rafi isn't even an all-star this season, right? And I'm not saying that's the be-all, end-all, but there's a reason he isn't an all-star this season. But Ortiz never left after he came over from Minnesota. El Tuve, think about him. He's the guy in Houston where even more so than Correa, he's the guy there more so than Springer before him, right? Like, or before Correa left, Springer leaving. Like, that's the guy. El Tuve, when you think of the era of Astros baseball, you're going to think about cheating and you're going to think about Jose El Tuve. Ortiz, that era of Red Sox baseball, you're going to think of Ortiz, right? I'm just going to be watching Monday night, and I love the Home Run Derby, by the way. I know it gets kind of long, but I do love the Home Run Derby. I know how I'm going to feel watching it. I'm going to be pissed off, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to look, and I'm like, Mookie Betts is in the Home Run Derby. He should be wearing a Red Sox uniform, right? And look, he's under contract through his 39-year-old season at $27.5 million. I get that. But just overwhelm him with an offer. Make sure that he can't leave Boston. Make sure that he stays with the Red Sox. And look, at the time, I'll admit it. I was like, sort of like getting mad about the whole situation. I was like, oh, he's not going to age well because there's a smaller guy where his power is generated so much by his ridiculous, stupid bat speed, which is still amazing to watch. But this is what the business is in baseball. You sort of have to hold your nose and give the back end of the years and the money to these superstar players so you make sure you get all of their prime years. This is just sort of how the game works. And the more and more I looked at it, I just can't believe this is the reality we live in as Red Sox fans. Look, I told you, I like a ton of what the Red Sox are doing right now. I just spent the open on that, right? I like a ton of their players, but this is the guy that you go to the park to watch, right? Rafi has a little bit of that, but not all the way. Like, I'm not going to a ton of games just to watch Rafael Devers. You go to the ballpark to watch Mookie Betts, right? And how many other guys in Major League Baseball have that it factor? We see it in the NBA, right? Giannis, LeBron, now Jokic, right? We see it in the NBA. Allen Iverson had it. Shaq certainly had it, right? You know what I'm talking about. But in Major League Baseball, it's rare. Some pitchers have it, like Pedro clearly had it, but he only pitched every fifth day, right? Like, Ellie De La Cruz has it right now for the Reds. I mean, that was incredible what he did. Guy created a run by himself, stealing home, but... Aaron Judge has it because, like, the size. You don't really see that in Major League Baseball. Obviously, Otani's number one on the list. Trout had it. Harper had it, especially early in his career when he was the phenom. Acuna has it in Atlanta. But there are, like, good players where you look at it. For example, like, Freddie Freeman's a great player. Great player. And I appreciate his talent and how good he is. But I'm not going to watch a game to see Freddie Freeman. I'm going to watch Otani. I'm going to watch Acuna. And to just know that the Red Sox had that type of guy that you went to the ballpark to watch him, it's just torture knowing what he's doing for a different organization. And maybe I'm just like going crazy here because the home run derby is tomorrow night, but I was just reminded of it when I see them showing highlights of the guys participating in the home run derby. It's like Mookie's in it. I mean, it just sucks, right? And look, maybe the Red Sox have that coming in Marcelo Meyer. Like he got a hit in the Futures game. Maybe he's that next guy. Maybe he's the guy that we go to the ballpark and say, hey, this is now Mookie Betts. Make sure he never gets away. Like, this is the guy you're going to watch every day. And he does have a sweet swing. He's got a lot of charisma. Like, he he certainly could be that guy. I'm not doubting that whatsoever. But it just, you had a guy here that could do that, right? And I just think part of it is the uneasiness of the contract and whatnot. That's sort of like, I didn't appreciate Mookie enough when he was here. And I think that's what it was. The uneasiness as a fan, not knowing if he was going to be here long term and convincing myself at the time, oh, they'll be okay. They'll figure it out. The Red Sox will pull off a big trade and, and they're going to be fine, right? They're going to figure out a way to get through this. But I was missing the point of the whole situation with Mookie Betts. The point was, you have one of the most talented players in the sport. You have a guy that is must-see TV every time he plays. That's what it's about. That's what sports are about when you have one of those type of guys. And I got caught up in everything but that, right? Like, do you remember how fun 2018 was? Because the Red Sox were the best team in franchise history. And quite frankly, one of the best teams we've seen in the past 25 years, since the turn of the century. They're one of the best teams we've seen. I mean, they were a fucking wagon. And the funnest guy on that team was Mookie Betts. Like, I could watch that J.A. Happ 13-pitch grand slam on loop when he goes nuts after he hits the home run. That was just crazy. It was remarkable, right? So... As happy as I am right now with the improvements we're seeing with Jaron Durant, watching Yoshida play, I mean, that's a slam dunk by the front office, seeing Bayo develop into a top tier part of this rotation going forward where he may be the number one guy for years to come for this organization. I'm just reminded when I see these Mookie Betts highlights, it wasn't supposed to be this way. And the worst part about the Mookie thing is it's not Pierce right now. I'm not comparing the players like Pierce as an NBA player. And he never had that it factor either. But 
Pierce as an NBA player is not even close to what Mookie is as a Major League Baseball player, right? Celtics fans, I mean, maybe they'll get upset that I said this, but he was never a top five guy, right? He Great player, but he never lived in the same zip code as Kobe or Garnett during his era or Duncan or Shaq. He was never in that zip code. Like Mookie has been in the neighborhood with the Trouts, the Acunas, the Otanis. He's in that neighborhood, right? But I digress with Pierce. I, I didn't mean to make this a Pierce thing, but you knew... With Pierce, when he went to Brooklyn, you weren't missing any prime years. With Mookie, you knew you were going to miss a massive chunk of his prime, right? Even like the one that stings, obviously, Brady, right? Greatest player of all time. And it sucked watching him hoist the Lombardi in that ugly Bucks uniform. But you got six Super Bowls out of him in the 20-year period. As much as it sucked, you still had the six Super Bowls. With Mookie, you got six prime years. Because his first full season, I'll count as a prime year because... His basically his rookie season, he had 291 with an 820 OPS. So 15 through 19, I mean, the guy was electric and he was basically in his prime. This is already his fourth year with the Dodgers. Like he's going to have more prime years with them than he did the Red Sox. He's entering his 30-year-old season. So it just blows to see that Mookie Betts is going to be in the home run derby wearing a different uniform. And I know he's like, Man, the home run derby is not a big deal. But the big deal is... We lost out on Mookie Betts' prime. We lost out seeing one of the best players in the sport play every day. That's what we lost out on. And I'm just reminded of that this week. And I'm sorry if I opened up an old wound for a lot of you guys. But I just know, like, I love watching the All-Star Game. I love watching the Home Run Derby. And I'm not going to have fun watching the Home Run Derby tomorrow because I know that Mookie Betts is out there. By the way, plus 1,500 on FanDuel. All right. A lot more to get into. I want to get into this Jalen Brown situation and where he ranks among second options on contenders. We'll do that in just a bit. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear. That is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at Viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Remember, you can always leave us a voicemail at 617-396-7172. You can also email us at offthepike at gmail.com, and that's where we bring in our producer, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, before we get into the email here, two things. Are you? Did I make you upset about Mookie? Yes. Sorry about that. I mean, I'll, I'll never get over it. I know, you said opening up an old wound. It's a it's a continually festering wound. It's just it, it sucks every day. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, it is difficult. Now, at least the Red Sox are playing better. But my awards, any changes you would make to my awards, my best reliever, my best pitcher, my biggest disappointment, my MVP, anything you would change? I think they all were pretty solid and sound. I think I would maybe even bail for MVP, I was thinking, just in terms of Oh, over Verdugo. I had him as best. I had him as best pitcher, but For you're sure. saying maybe just MVP. Because yeah, maybe. I, I mean, start I think to in finish. Terms of watching too, like I, he he jumps off the screen more than Verdugo a little bit for me at least. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. That's a fair yeah. point. I just look at it too, like with the Verdugo thing. You had all these injuries, right? Like Duvall went down, so he mm-hmm. had to pick up some of the offense. Yoshida was definitely a candidate too. It's just he's not a good defensive player, so like I can't <laughs> I can't really give him the MVP. Yeah. When, yeah, yeah. He's a great offensive player. He's a great player. Hit another home run. Like, he's an awesome player. I love watching Yoshida play, but I got to give a little nod to Verdugo for that. Even Turner, like, Turner definitely has a case, too. Now, part of the thing hurting Turner is he's DH'd in so many of these games, but they've used him in the field now, which he's been reliable there. So, 
Most improved, I mean, that's impossible to argue with. It's obviously Durant. For I mean, this sure. guy, I thought he wasn't a major league player. I mean, this guy was fucking losing balls in the sky all the time last year. And now he's like, now we're at the point last year where nobody wanted to see him. We're at the point on Sunday morning where people are tweeting and are pissed off he's not in the lineup. Like, that's where we're at. People are like, why is Durant not playing, right? Like, that's where we're at with Durant, which is complete. It's remarkable to see the change from last year to this year with Durant. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't, like, obviously guys improve going from one year to the next. But I, if you told me this is going to happen, I wouldn't have bought it. I would have said, you're an idiot. How could you watch this guy and think that he's going to have that type of year? I just, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy, like, the swing looked ugly at times. Obviously, we outlined how bad the defense was last year. I didn't see it. I really didn't. But, man, he he's a great watch, too, because, yeah, he's a great watch, too, because I think it was Will Fleming maybe mentioned it on the pod. It was either Will or Lou Merloni, one of the two guys when they were on, where we were talking about, like, how he takes the turn at first where he just kind of flips his hips and he's going a second. It may have been Julian McWilliams, too. I forget. I may have said that, talked about it with all three of them. But it is (laughs) remarkable how quickly he makes the turn from first to second. Totally. I mean, he's been the most exciting player on the team, I think. And I think you mentioned this a week ago. It's like unless he hits the ball directly at one of the outfielders, the corner outfielders, he's going for two. Like if if they have to go slightly one way or another, he's already taking the turn. It's crazy. Well, and that's why, too, like if you look at like Babbitt, batting average in balls in play, he, his number is always going to be good because he's so fast. Mm-hmm. Like Rafi gets burned by it sometimes. This guy will right. never get burned by bad luck because he's just going to he's going to beat all this stuff out. Remarkable, no, I mean, man. I, I love him for sure. My one for you, Brian. I'm curious for a special award. Most capable middle infielder. It's hard to pick one, but who who you got? Oh, shortstop. I would say yeah. Yu Chang. It's Yu Chang. Yeah, without question. I mean, most reliable middle infielder, I mean, you may give a slight edge to Arroyo just because he's he's been a solid player for a couple of years, even though he can't hit yeah. righties. But Yu Chang. Big hit today. Well, I, I mean, the most amazing thing is we talked about Yu Chang and how big of a loss he was. He really was. I mean, he's a stabilizing right. presence there. And they're going to get story back at some point. He's thrown from short. He's out there all the time mm-hmm. getting ready. So that's another boost that this team can certainly get. It's interesting. And then... Um this kind of leads into this mailbag question, which is about from Bill about the trade deadline. He writes, I know the Red Sox. Uh, Wait, he, he could have just popped on if he wanted to talk about the trade deadline. <laughs> sure, the boss, he could have just come on. He didn't have to send us an email. It's <laughs> nice of him, though. Get involved. Um, I'm just kidding, by the way. It's not actually Bill. It's not actually the boss. I mean, it says, thanks, Bill. Might be. Oh, okay. Burner account. Um, he says, I know the Red Sox don't have a great chance of making the playoffs this year, but I would like to see them not sell off at the deadline. I could see trading Duvall, Kike, or Jensen, but to me, players like Turner, Paxton, and Martin are adults in the room that a team needs for the young players. I think players like Bayo, Duran, and Verdugo need someone to be a professional, especially with the progress they've all made uh, towards the future. Turner's a professional hitter, Paxton's an effective pitcher every five days, and Martin stabilizes the bullpen for the young relievers that we have. So they do still have a puncher's chance in the playoffs, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. More than a puncher's chance now, man. Yeah. They're right in the race. They're right in this thing. So, no, I don't see them selling off, and I don't think it'd be a good look if this team is still, like, around the area they are right now, unless they completely fall off here, right? Like, they have a bad stretch. Although, like I was mentioning earlier, I mean... Could it get any better post-All-Star break? The Red Sox haven't been able to play the A's yet. Now they're getting these games against the A's. They got three more, and they got three against the Cubs starting on Friday. The Cubs also suck. Like, the Red Sox, by the end of next week, they could actually have one of those spots. Like, if they continue to play the way they are, which they've won eight of nine, they're red hot right now. So the Red Sox, and now the the schedule has lightened up. It's going to get a little bit more difficult, obviously. I mean, it could not get easier than the stretch they have right now, but they're going to be in this thing, so I can't see how I'm selling off pieces. The other thing I would say is, he mentioned Kike, yeah. I, I, I Kike's going to be gone. I just, I don't know if you can get any value. He legitimately, nobody has yeah. less value than Kike in terms of his war, but I mean, though I guess some contender will say, you know what, we'll bring him in, depth piece where, you know, the dog days, he can play center field, he can play second base. Like, I just don't think you're getting any value in the player. Like, Arroyo probably has more value, but Arroyo's a better player than Kike right now. He's a better second baseman, and so, and he had a nice hit in the gap today in right center, so maybe it's just Arroyo's going to be the guy. I think is going to be gone. I, I don't see any way that Kike is on this team going forward, especially considering the fact that Story's coming back as well. Like, mm. you don't need him. And like I was mentioning, like, where, where is he playing? Who Who is he playing for? 
Okay, so Arroyo doesn't hit righties. Kike doesn't hit righties. Arroyo's better than Kike. So he's not playing yeah, second against simple. right-handers, right? And you want Arroyo hitting against lefties. So Arroyo's playing second on those days. He's not playing short anymore because he's not good there. Yu Chang is good. Therefore, Yu Chang's going to play short every day. And then in the outfield, he's not playing against lefties because he's not hitting lefties this year, right? Like, So I'm saying in terms of the outfield, who are you going to take out when there's a lefty on the mound, right? And I know today they gave Duran a break, but like, Okay, so are you taking Duvall out? No, you want him hitting against lefties. Are you taking Ref Snyder out? No, no. he literally has the best on-base percentage in all of baseball. So there's just nowhere for him to play. He's um, Unfortunately, this is where we're at. He's the odd man out in this situation. So it's time for Kike Hernandez to go. None of those other guys are going to trade, though. I'd be shocked. And like I said, unless like the caveat is they start getting injured again and they completely fall off prior to August 1st. But you can't trade Paxton. He's your second best starter and your second most reliable starter. You can't trade Martin. The guy's an absolute stud no. and a weapon out of the bullpen. You can't trade Jansen. He's your closer. He's your all-star. You're not trading him. So I just, Turner, you're not trading. Turner's been remarkable for this team as well. And he provides versatility. And he's in the lineup every day because he can hit righties and he can hit lefties. He's incredible. So no, I don't see them selling off. And mm -hmm. I'm, not I'm not saying they're going to make like this big seismic move, but I would like them to add an arm here. They don't starter. need an arm in the bullpen. They need a starter. That's what they need. They need. And it doesn't even have to be, like, I'm not saying you have to trade for the best starter on the market. I'm just saying you need to give this team a little bit of depth because you've taken Crawford. Yeah, like you've taken Crawford now out of the road, out of the bullpen where he was one of the best relievers in the sport and he hasn't been great as a starter. I'm, this isn't me taking shots at Crawford. And then you look at the fact that, okay, Whitlock's going to come back at some point. Okay, well, is he getting hurt again? Because every year this guy gets hurt. And I'd rather him go in the bullpen now just so we can at least get him to the end of the season. And then Hoke is coming off a facial fracture. He's better as a reliever anyway, but he's probably going to go back into the rotation. But I would just like to add another starter so this yeah. team starts to make a little bit more sense. That's the thing they need. They need a starter. Usually we look at it and we say, hey, you need like smaller things, right? Like the 18 team that was like the World Series team. I'm not comparing these teams, but it's like, okay, you know exactly what you need. You need somebody that can hit lefties at first base so you can give Moreland, get Moreland out of there against lefties. So you got Steve Pierce. Like, that was an easier thing to do. Hey, we could use another starter, right? A depth starter. Let's trade Jalen Beeks to the Rays and bring in Nathan Evaldi. Like, you knew what you needed. It was, they were obvious things. This one's staring you right at the face too. It's, all you need is a starter. That's it. And look, let the chips fall where they may because this team's, they're a good team. They're not a great defensive team, but they're much better now that they make more sense and Kike's not at short anymore, right? So they make more sense. It's a very good offensive team. You have at the top of the rotation, you have two solid starters and your bullpen's good. Like the bullpen is legitimately good. And I do give Heimblum credit for that, but it's going to get worse if you keep taking your good yeah, relievers and putting them in the rotation like Crawford. Yeah, for sure. I can see them doing that. I guess I, I wish some of these reinforcements were getting or coming, I guess, sooner than like mid-August. You know, you never like, yeah. it's a long time to stay afloat, but they can yeah. do it certainly. And the sale thing, like I said, I'm not banking. No, on that. I'm not. I'm not banking <laughs> on it, man. I, I no. don't want. I I'm getting too emotionally attached to that thing. I can't do it anymore. And you think Kluber is just that's it for the year kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. And then like for Kike though, do you think they're like gonna DFA him if they can't trade him? Maybe they'll have to. Like maybe teams will call the bluff and just be like, why would we right. offer anything you for Kike Hernandez? Yeah, like yeah. why why would we offer you anything for him? You know. So unless the team like really, really, really wants him, but uh, who is that team? His old <laughs> buddies with the Dodgers going to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just don't see it. I mean, he's so bad. Yeah. Luckily, they pinch hit, they pinch hit from early in the game on Sunday. I mean, he's horrible, man. He's just, and I do feel like there is, probably some of it is like, it got so bad for him at short defensively that it probably yeah, carried over. Like he, he was probably like thinking about this all I the time. It. So I do have like some level of, empathy for the guy but enough's enough man like it's this is major exciting. league baseball you can't you can't put this guy out there anymore he's got to take the club out of the bag because he has he has the worst argument to stay on the team worst of anybody else worst argument to stay on the team mm -hmm. it's a team leader though brian remember <laughs> the beginning oh, of the yeah. season that hooker buffle oh he got mad at my buddy duke Stiglione yeah. from yeah, channel yeah. five he got pissed at, at duke for asking him that or heim bloom got mad i should say he didn't get like well actually no kike did get mad he reacted on social media so kike yeah. got mad heim bloom tried to answer it diplomatically but it's like 
Duke, that was a, and I know people were mad about his question. It, like the actual question was fair. It's like, totally. can a team leader be a guy that was like this platoon guy? Like, yeah, totally. you can have guys that are like good clubhouse guys, right? Like a, a Mitch Moreland, a Steve Pierce. And I get it. The best player is not always the leader of your team, but it's tough to say, yeah, Kike Hernandez is leader of the Red Sox. <laughs> like, what the fuck? You need your team leader to be on the team throughout the entire season, generally. <laughs> you need your team leader not to throw it over the dugout. <laughs> and you definitely can't be that bad and be the team leader, right? Not that they knew at the time he was going to be that bad. Yeah, Because totally. if they knew, obviously, he wouldn't be playing short. He'd be day, at least but... average. Yeah, you can't have a guy with 12 throwing errors be your team leader. <laughs> a guy that's hitting almost south of 200 against righties. He can't be your leader. Rough. All right, Jamie. Brian, be well. Enjoy the All-Star break. And the home run derby. All right. Remember, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you certainly can at 617-396-7172. And you can also email us at offthepike at gmail.com. All right. So I did want to get into this as we get ready for the Supermax that we believe is coming at some point for Jalen, which still isn't here as we record early evening on Sunday after the Red Sox game. I did want to revisit something I hit on prior to the playoffs, the idea of where Jalen ranks among second options. So I just want to look at it in terms of real contenders like I'm not going to look at the Rockets second option and the Spurs second option right like those teams aren't winning a championship but let's say these are the contenders in my mind the Bucks, the 76ers the Heat and then that's all I have in the East because the Cavs I mean they that was a choke not a choke job they were horrible against the Knicks and I don't see the Knicks as real title contenders either but so in the West Denver obviously they just won it Phoenix Golden State I'm always going to have them with Curry the Clippers the Lakers. Okay. I'll throw the Clippers in there. As I said, the Clippers are in there just because I, I may be the last person that like quits on that group. Like I love Kawhi Leonard, so I'm, I'm going to keep him in there. Okay. And I'm not super high on the Grizzlies, even with adding smart. I just, that's a messy situation with the John Moran thing. And then the Kings, I just don't think they can win a championship. I really don't like, and I know you can say maybe some of these other teams can, I just don't believe in the Kings. Like Sabonis is a, not a great defensive player. He's a great hubby or offense from an offensive perspective, but they lost to Golden State in seven games, and that Golden State team was a mess. Like, if you should have beaten Golden State if you're them. So I just, I don't put them in that true contender category. Okay, so the Bucks, would they rather have Jalen than Middleton? I'd say yes. He never was himself last season. If you look at it, he shot 31.5% from three. Horrible, and he's 31. And maybe this is just not saying he's going to shoot better than 31.5%, but maybe this is who he is. Like, basically, for a four year period, four or five year period, he was an all star level player. I know he only made three, but he was like an all star level player. And I look at him and I say, he's really not on that level anymore, right? So when I look at it and you compare it to Jalen, Jalen is an all star level player, even if I don't think he's one of the 15 best players in the world. Like, he made the all NBA team this year. That's why he's eligible for the Supermax. Jalen is an all-star caliber player. I just don't think Middleton gets back to being that level of player, even though the Bucs obviously feel good about him because they just gave him an extension. I'm just not buying it. Okay, so let's go to the 76ers. So at the time, this Harden thing is still up in the air. Although at this point, I'm really starting to believe that the most likely scenario for James Harden is that he ends up back with Philadelphia. So I think he's going to be back there, but for right now, he's not there. So let's say Tyrese Maxey, their number two option. I know they said that he's not available in the trading market, but then why not extend him? I don't buy this whole idea. They're trying to open up two max cap slots that are two max salary spots. That's what the reporting's been in terms of what they're trying to do. Who are they signing? It's not like a big free agent class. So I, I am interested to see why they haven't traded Maxi. I think they're keeping their powder dry in case they want to get involved in the Lillard sweepstakes, right? So last year he shot 43.4% from deep. And he's about to enter his 23-year-old season. Still a really young player. And I like Maxi. But remember, against the Celtics, he had some awful games in the playoffs. Three-game stretch where he went 16 of 47, shot 34%. Like, he was flat out bad for a large portion of that series. So the 76ers, they would, even though they're saying, like, we won't trade him for anybody, they would have to take Jalen over Maxi. Okay. So that brings me to the heat with Bam. As of right now, they don't have Dame. So it's Bam as their second-best player, their second option. And I'd go Bam over Jalen. Bamman is a, an elite defensive player, as we've seen. Unlike Jalen, who's not a great defensive player, the Heat were 3.5 points per 100 better on defense with Bam on the court than off the court. That was in the 80th percentile. Last year, that number was at 6.6. That was in the 93rd percentile via cleaning the glass. So he is a massive difference maker defensively because he can basically guard every position. Like, we say this about certain guys. Oh, he can guard one through five. He legitimately can guard one through five. So... There are certainly times, like, he's not a perfect player offensively. You'd like to be him to be more aggressive at times. 
but he's one of the more versatile defenders in the league, as we mentioned. And the whole point is he's a number two guy. So yeah, you'd like him to shoot more, but he's your number two guy and he can't carry an offense. But as a number two guy, he's plenty good enough. He's a really good passer for a big man. He's averaged five assists, north of five assists per game, twice in his career as a center. So Bam, he brings defensive versatility. He's a good offensive player. I would take Bam over Jalen. All right, so that brings us to Denver. Like before the playoffs, I said Jalen over, I thought Jalen was better than Murray. But after what we just watched, Murray averaged 26.1 points per game on 47.3% from the field and 39.6% from deep on 7.5 attempts per game from deep. That is bombing threes, and he hit him at a very high level. He also averaged 7.1 assists per game, which is an outstanding number too, right? And he's never been like an elite player during the regular season. He's had stretches, but he's never been that elite player. Like he's not, he's never been an all-star. And I just looked at me, you always felt like that player was there, right? And I get it lately. The reason he wasn't getting to that level is he was dealing with injuries, but we just saw him play at an insanely high level throughout that playoff run. So I would take Murray over Jalen right now because there's no reason his shooting shouldn't be elite. Like he is a really good shooter, right? And with Denver, he plays so well off Jokic. And the thing about him is he can create his own shot. And he's an elite shooter. And his playmaking is way better than Jalen. So he's a better shooter than Jalen. He's a better playmaker than Jalen as well. And again, in the past, you'd say, well, you'd take the wing size. But Jalen is not like this elite defensive player or stop or anything along those lines. And Murray was fine defensively in the playoffs. Not to say that he's a great defensive player, but he more than held up. So when I look at what he did in the playoffs, it's more impressive than anything Jalen's ever done. So I'd have to go Murray over Jalen. All right, so that brings me to Phoenix. The one team that I said had a real argument prior to the playoffs, where right now, I guess their number two is Durant, right? Because Booker was at 50% from three in the playoffs, from three, and he was 58.5% from deep. Like, he had an amazing playoff run. This is all while he averaged 7.2 assists per game. So he was their main guy. Durant averaged 29, 8.7 rebounds, 5.5 assists. That's the number two. So I'm not talking about the age. I'm just talking about for next season, right? I'm not talking about the next five years. I'm talking about right now. You have to take Durant over Jalen Brown. There's not really an argument to take Jalen over Durant. Okay, so that brings me to Golden State, which is a tough one because Draymond's their second best player, but he's not really like a second option, right? But because he can't really score. So he's not really a number two option, but he's a great defender, great playmaker, all that. So if you're looking at their number two option offensively, it's Clay, And I look at Clay. He was really bad at times in the playoffs. If you watch any of the Golden State games, two point shooting was the worst of his career in the playoffs. Forty two percent like he can't really drive 30 percent from or thirty six point eight percent from deep. So he didn't even shoot the ball well from deep in that playoff run. He's never been a guy that can create his own shot like he can get a shot off really quick when he's coming off the screen. But and he had his moments certainly in the finals two years ago. But at this point, I kind of feel like Jalen over Clay is a no brainer. And if they got offered Jalen for Clay, the Warriors would do that in a second, right? Especially, I mean, he's had all these injuries. So I just feel like Clay is never going to be the guy that he was previously. He's still a really, really good player. And he's a four time champ and all that. I would just take Jalen over him right now. All right. So I'm putting the Clippers here as a fringy contender, as I mentioned. I'm not quitting them yet. But let's say Paul George. He's openly actually said he's a number two guy. He literally said that. But anyway, 23.8 per game last year on 45% shooting, 37.1% from deep on good volume, 7.6 a game. So he took a lot of threes and at 37.1%. Also averaged 5.1 assists compared to Jalen at 3.5. Jalen did have the rebounding edge, 6.9 to 6.1. And Paul George via cleaning the glass, a 117.2 offensive rating they had when he was on the court. That was 5.5. Five points per 100 better with him on the court than off. That's in the 89th percentile. So Jalen, the Celtics with him on the court, according to Cleaning the Glass, a 117.1 offensive rating. So right around Paul George at 117.2. But the Celtics as a team were actually 3.4 points per 100 worse with Jalen on than off. That was in the 29th percentile compared to that 5.5 in the plus territory for George in the 89th percentile. So on the court, the number similar but George, those numbers tell you he makes his teammates better, and Jalen doesn't do that. And nobody would say that Jalen makes his teammates better. We all know this, right? He's not a good passer anyway. So I would go Paul George in a vacuum over Jalen. But the hell stuff with him, it's every year. Like, he, he wasn't available in the playoffs. At least Durant was there for the postseason, right, for Phoenix. This guy is never ready when you need him. He's never available when you need him. So I Paul George is a better player than Jalen, but I have to go Jalen just because I know what's going to happen to Paul George when we, when we get to April and May. It's every year. Okay, that brings me to the final team here, the Lakers. 
And I know Davis has a bad health record too, but man, him and Draymond Green, at least from my perspective, are the two best playoff defenders. And I know Jokic got him clearly, but it's Jokic, he's the best player in the world. Davis is so good, man, as a number two. But you look at him, the defense is actually seven points better per 100 with him on the court. That's in the 94th percentile via cleaning the glass. So he makes the defense seven points better. It's a a crazy number. He averaged 25.9, 12.5, 2 0.0 0.0 blocks, 56.3% shooting this past season. I have to go Davis. So if you add that up, you look at the teams, counting the Celtics, the nine contenders I have, the Sixers, the Bucks, the Heat, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Suns, and the Warriors. So I have Jalen behind Davis, Murray, Durant, and Bam in no order. I have him ahead of Maxi Middleton, Paul George because of the health, and Clay Thompson. So basically, he's right in the middle of those other number two options for contenders. So I thought he had a chance to be like, arguably the best number two option in the NBA prior to the playoffs, but I just don't think he's that guy. I don't. I mean, look, fifth isn't bad. He's he's plenty good. He's a really good player, but Jalen doesn't really bring much to the table outside of his scoring, right? That's sort of what holds him back against these other players. He's not a good playmaker. He's not a good defender. He isn't a great, de- uh, he isn't a great rebounder like Jason Tatum. And I'm not saying he's a horrible defender. He's just not a great defender. He's not like, oh, yeah, we got Jalen. I know he had some, his moments against James Harden, but overall, he's not a great defensive player, and he always gets lost off the ball. So he really is limited in terms of climbing this list because it's like, okay, do you think his playmaking is going to improve? No. Maybe from an effort perspective, he can just get a little bit better on defense, but all these other guys, they do more things, right? Davis is a great defender in addition to his offense and his rebounding, right? Bam's a great defender and a really good passer for a big man. Durant's a way better passer than Jalen and a way more efficient scorer and a better rebounder. Murray's a great playmaker to go along with his elite shooting and scoring. Jalen's a good scorer, and that's really it. That's kind of all he does. So I just thought it was a useful exercise to look at where he kind of ranks amongst these number two guys as we get ready eventually for for him to sign a Supermax at some point this offseason. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll talk in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, hope is here, visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call one 877 8 Hope and Why or text Hope and Why. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease. And the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.